Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on Blue Wire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined today by Sports Emmy award-winning journalist, Sports Emmy-nominated filmmaker, and tech executive, Amber Theo Harris. Amber talks about being a woman in the sports industry and how it's changed, fighting for those who are often not heard, and believing in your value. She also discusses how she moved into the world of tech and why she is constantly creating. This episode is pretty spectacular, so make sure to subscribe, listen, rate, and review. Amber, thank you so much for joining me today for Get My Job. I have been so excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to come on. Absolutely. Let's jump right into it. You do so many incredible things. So if you could start by kind of getting us through your professional journey to this point, and then we'll, of course, take a deeper dive into everything. <laughs> oh my goodness, how long do you have? It's the older you get, the the longer that becomes. I'll try I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Perfect. Um, I, I'm a journalist by trade. Uh, that's you know what I set out to do and I've had a long um, 20 plus year career in sports, everything from you know starting at the very local levels to working my way up to hosting Thursday night football on NFL network. Um, I've, I've worked for MLB Network. Um, NBC Sports, CBS Sports. I've kind of done. I've done it all in that realm, um, and I still uh, have shows on Sirius XM, uh, and I also do Westwood One. I do games and also uh, another studio show for them. So a lot going on in the sports world still. But um, I ventured out and and started making films and started different forms of storytelling about four years ago. And right now I have a current film on HBO called The Weight of Gold that's gotten a lot of attention with what's happening with Simone Biles lately in the Olympics. Um, so, you know, I'm working on that. I, I finished that film. I'm working on a few others right now. And uh, what else? And then I am a tech executive, which, you know, was kind of a product of COVID. Um, I fell into that in designing and, and overseeing the creative process for a gaming app that kind of uses my sports um acumen to kind of to kind of bring to a different platform so that's been that's been really exciting learning a lot in that field as well let's talk about the weight of gold um you were nominated for an emmy congratulations that's incredible you're welcome thank you what was the genesis of the documentary and in light of this olympics as you said obviously it's gotten a lot of attention because everything that's gone on with simone biles how important is it to continue to tell these stories and make sure people understand that mental health is health they are one and the same yeah, I mean, the genesis of the story is is really sad. And you, as a storyteller, you try to tell stories that sometimes just come to you. Um, you didn't pick them. It's almost as if they picked you. Mm-hmm. And this story picked me because I was working on another story. Um, and 
immense tragedy led to the weight of gold. I was I was doing a story about a U.S. bobsled captain that had won gold in Vancouver, and he had a degenerative eye disease, coincidentally the same eye disease that I have. And uh, he was going blind, and he didn't want to tell anybody with the Federation, and he attempted uh, suicide. And he lived through that and he, he learned and he got his, he did experimental surgery, got his eyes fixed. And so it was, we were, we were covering this wonderful documentary of, you know, the old agony of defeat, you know, adversity, and then the thrill of victory, right? That's what we do mm-hmm. in sports. We tell those stories. Um, but 12 days after we interviewed, his name is Stephen Holcomb. 12 days after we interviewed Stephen here in LA for that film, my colleague Brett Rapkin and I got a call that he was found dead in his hotel room, that he had uh, died by suicide. And that hit hard. That's, we were with him just a few days earlier. He taught, he spoke about his battle with depression. He, he spoke about the fact that he still uh, battled with his demons, that even though he's gotten help, it'll never go away. And, you know, we, we talked to him about it, but I guess we didn't see the red flags. And that's something that I'll carry with me the rest of my life. Um, and so we were devastated and we had this last interview of him talking about a really important topic. And then at the same time, Michael Phelps was emerging and I knew, I knew Michael from being a Baltimore athlete because I came up in the Baltimore sports scene mm-hmm. and um, Michael was being very vocal about his struggles with mental health. And Brett and I just kind of had this moment of, you know, we've got a completely different movie here, completely different. And this film needs to be about mental health in our elite athletes. So we started just on a hunch going down that path. We joined forces with Michael Phelps and we started interviewing Sean White and, um, and Sasha Cohen and Bodie Miller and Apollo Ono and Lolo Jones and all these gold medalists. And they had the same story. And it was that of their battles with depression and what it is like to be the best of the world in something. And then what it is, like, what it's like after that's over, whether you won gold or not. We had no idea that there was a crisis. We had no idea that this was a pandemic of its own, a worldwide pandemic of mental health crises within our elite athletes. But we learned that and we told that story. And um, we had no idea when it aired last year on HBO that the, you know, the greatest gymnast of uh, American gymnast of all time, Simone Biles, was going to withdraw because of mental health issues from the Olympics. We could have never predicted that. And so the film has gotten attention because of that. And, you know, it, you wish you could celebrate the success of the film, but we've never felt that way. Mm-hmm. We've always felt like we did something important and hopefully we could, hopefully it educated people. But I, those are the stories you wish you didn't have to tell. Mm-hmm. But yet the ones that are so important to tell. I believe so. And I believe that there are kids, there are adults, there are a lot of people that saw that film and said, oh, my goodness, if if these colossal mammoth gods, these athletes that we see as invincible are saying they're suffering, then I don't feel alone and I don't feel weird. And maybe I can go get some help, too. And I think that was the number one thing I hope that people took away from the film, you know, mental health is a, is a crusade I've battled myself and I understand, um, it is a lifelong, you know, battle, whether, whether you're getting help or not, even those that are getting help, you always have to stay on top of it. 
And the, one of the beautiful things that came with this film was I was working at NFL Network when I was shooting it. And how many NFL players that I'm friends with, former NFL players, they would ask me, oh, what are you doing with Michael today? And who'd you shoot? And and they, for a couple of them, the Reggie Waynes and the Reggie Bushes and those big athletes coming out and saying, whenever you do the NFL version of this film, I want to speak about it because it's it's the same with us, the exact same. And that was eye-opening as well. Well, I think it really humanizes athletes. And, and it's sometimes we forget that athletes are just people and they're <laughs> humans. And no matter how good they are in sports and like you said before, how invincible they seem, they're struggling with the human experience as much as the rest of us. Uh, so it is important to tell those stories for them and for others to be able to relate to that and, and maybe able to get help themselves. Um, yeah. You are very community minded, obviously, and, and you've said it's you're working to give a voice to those who often are not heard. Where did that passion begin? I think that passion, and it's definitely a passion of mine, and that purpose came from my own experience with uh, gender, age, maternity, discrimination um, in the NFL particularly, but also pretty much every level of sports that I came through with the TV networks. It wasn't just limited to NFL network, but it cut deep. Um, and there were so many times where I was just, I couldn't believe that we were still experiencing this, you know, in the, in the 2010s at the time, I, cu- I couldn't believe it. You know, my, I thought my mother fought those battles so that I wouldn't have to. And then I had, you know, awakenings where I just realized that I was right in the middle of the battle and I had to fight back somehow. And I paid a lot of, you know, a heavy price for fighting back to some extent in, in many different levels of my career. Um, nobody, you know, you get labeled the loud woman or the not appreciative woman for your job when you're really just fighting, whether it be to maintain your position after maternity leave or be paid the same as your male co-anchors or whatever it is. Um, those that speak up, you're put in this category of like, oh, you know, she's kind of a pain in the butt. And I think it was my hurt from realizing that, you know, there was nothing I could do to change the fact that I was a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, my life was always going to be difficult that I started really identifying with a lot of my African-American friends, my Latino friends, you know, all of my friends that had shared these stories that were experiencing that same pain and that same frustration. And, you know, rather than just fight for women's rights and women's empowerment, which is, you know, my number one goal, it, it was we need to be all fighting together because if one part of our society is lagging behind and not getting the opportunities then none of us are where we should be. So that's why I wanted to tell all kinds of stories um, that could help lift people up and help. uh, You know, I felt like at times I didn't have a voice. Like Mm -hmm. if I fight back, this is what's going to happen, you know, and and you're silenced. And so I wanted to give people an opportunity through my platforms and my projects and my films to feel like they were celebrated for their diversity. They were celebrated for their unique backgrounds um, and for who they were, for their authentic self. So that's that's the mission, really, of everything I do right now. That's fantastic. And you talked earlier about the gaming app. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what you have going on as you've moved into tech executive? You wear you wear <laughs> yeah, a number of different hats. So you're like you were a true Renaissance woman. Like when they came up with that name, that was for you. I know, but I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm tired at the end of the day. But you know, you know what? I just have a lot of passions and I just, 
I love doing the stuff I do. And this, I never, I mean, hashtag things you thought you'd never do. I mean, tech is, <laughs> you know, I can't even, you know, tech is just not my realm, right? And, but creativity is. And this company, Clickstream, um, it's a public company. It's CLIS on the stock exchange. Um, they, you know, they, I started working with them just in COVID because they were starting a, a gaming app, a trivia app, and they wanted some people that knew TV to kind of help them out. And one of my friends in the NFL said, hey, do you want to host some of these trivia shows from your home? You just turn on. I said, sure. But of course, the producer in me is always going to look at the whole project and say, how can we be better? And so I started giving them point, like, we can do this or we should do this. And then finally I said, why don't you just, why don't you just do what you want with this app? Like, why don't you design it? And I said, sure, I'm sitting here with, you know, there's no sports going on at the time. And that's one of those, you know, life just bringing something your way that you never knew you needed. Um, you never wanted, but you definitely needed it. And it's been such an adventure. WinQuick app is the name of the app. It, it has no C in it. I have no idea. That was a decision one of the few decisions I didn't make, but it's win quick. <laughs> um, and you can download it, you know, at, at, um, anywhere at, at any store, Google, um, Apple. And it's, it's really fun. There are all kind of different ways to win money. We've added a sports element called the daily dozen. It's predictive sports gaming. So Ooh. you don't have, you know, a lot of people are super into sports betting right now. It's huge, but they don't want to put up their own money. So our daily dozen uh, game on win quick allows you to just go on and, and say true or false, whether you think certain predictions are going to happen that we wrote. And then at the end of the day, if you got a lot of them correct, you win some money, right? Your PayPal account. And then we also have a trivia, um, you know, the pop culture trivia side of it. Uh, Pooch Hall, the actor from Ray Donovan, his movie, the Ray Donovan movie's coming out. Um, he's our host and he's phenomenal. So he does live games, live trivia every Thursday. So, um, you know, people should check it out. It's just, I think it's, it's a nice escape. It's a nice release from all this. I mean, everything's been so serious these past two yeah. years. Like, let's just play some games and maybe I'll win some money. That's really what Wayne Quick App is about. Which is, sounds like a, a no pun intended, win-win. <laughs> no yeah. C, though. There's no C anywhere in the world. Yeah, there's right. no C, but it's <laughs> win-win. Um, going back a little bit, you've talked a lot about storytelling. Uh, that that's really kind of been the focus of your career and, and certainly the focus now. When did you discover a love for telling stories in that way? You know, I, I don't think I knew a name for it, right? I think when you're a kid, um, you, you have no idea what that passion is, but I knew that, you know, I would I would write all the time. Writing was just my silent savior. It was... For me, it was this portal that just took me into a different world that my brain was super creative as a kid. And luckily, I had a family and parents that really fostered that. But, you know, I'd write poems or I'd, you know, I'd, I would just do anything to, uh, I would talk to people. I loved talking to people. My mom's joke was she'd be like, Amber, you're, you know, you're five. You can't talk to strangers. And I'd be like, sure, mom. And I'd walk right up to somebody and be like, what's, you know, what's your story? I, I live right over here. Like, come to my house and talk to me. And my mom's like, oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, her, one of her favorite stories is we were doing, a, a you know, we were, we were handing out food at a soup kitchen in our neighborhood. And, you know, you know, being a kid, you know, my mom's protective. And so she said, just stay on this side of, you know, the lunch line. Don't, you know, don't really go out with everybody. Um that that's here, you know, because you don't really know what's happening with them. Right. And she says she lost me and she turned around. I'm sitting in the middle of a table 
of underserved people. <laughs> and I'm, I'm talking to them. I'm, I want to learn about their lives. And no, and my mom was like, oh my gosh, you know, like, okay, I'm just going to kind of let her do it. But I think that's, that shows that I was a storyteller. I think the biggest part of being a storyteller by nature is you want to listen. So you want to hear other people. So you don't want to tell your own story. You want to, you want to you look for other stories. And there's just a passion to turn that around and let everybody know about these compelling stories. And that's always just been at the heart of everything I do, not not just like sportscasting. I've, I've always been a storyteller in that sense. What I find really interesting about that story is that it, that was a situation where you were working with underserved people and you wanted to tell their story. Uh, and so it's just kind of interesting to think back on that time for you being so young, but even then realizing how important that is. Yeah. And again, I credit my parents with, you know, I try to do this. I'm the mother of three children. I think teaching your child to number one, understand their place in our society and be grateful for where they are, no matter where they are. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had a roof over my head. I had two parents that loved me. Um, we weren't rich, but I never wondered where my next meal was coming from. And my parents gave me a good sense of that by introducing me to people who didn't have that. And mm-hmm. that, that and a sense of obligation that it's our job to help those that, that need our help. You know, who, who are we in this world if we're not helping somebody else? Um, sorry, I'm getting over cold, so my voice is a little off. <laughs> no worries. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, and, and, and I've taken that you know, with my, with my storytelling. And I hope that my children, the number one thing I, I can, the number one thing as a mom that I want my kids to have and take into their adulthood is compassion. I, I, I think that's the number one trait that any mother would want for their kids. Um, because I think bravery comes out of compassion. I know that sounds crazy, but when you look at any time somebody did something brave, it was because they cared about somebody else. Um, and, I, and I want people to understand real heroes are people that um, are the most compassionate people. Um, and so I hope that my kids, I try to instill that in them. And I hope they take that with them the way I took it with me from my parents. It is so important. And I think that that is one of the most important things you can teach your children for the world at large, for the people in their class at school, for people they meet, it, it, it's so very important. So I definitely commend you for that. Well, I want to say one thing real quick. Please. The strength, like there is strength in compassion. Like it's probably the strongest thing you can do. Just like I think there's strength in admitting that you need help mentally, like Simone Biles. So I think our, our one of my missions with all my projects is to, is to redefine what true strength is in people. I like that. I like that a lot, redefining what true strength is. Along, sort of along those lines, um, and stuff you talked about earlier about, you know, being a woman in the sports industry and having to fight for, you know, equal pay, time off, you know, maternity leave, all of these things that should just be the norm. As a tech executive, a reporter, a mother of three, a storyteller, how do you prioritize yourself and make sure that your mental health isn't being forgotten um it's it's hard and it's a battle daily though I you know have through my I would say last 10 years or so being really cognizant of how important it is to um not leave yourself depleted so if Mm -hmm. you're always working or you're always giving 
everything to your kids are always fighting the good fight. <laughs> you know, what do you, you know, sometimes you go home and you feel really empty mm-hmm. and it, it, you know, finding ways to fill myself back up, um, in positive ways, you know, filling yourself back up by just stopping and saying, you know, um, I'm going to do this for myself today. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I, sometimes it's, you know, my husband's great for me. Time alone is important. Meditation, regrouping. Uh, I went to Scottsdale over the summer and just by myself, stayed for two days in a hotel by myself, uh, ate dinner by myself. And it was, it was fantastic. I just came back recharged. It's a, ch- it's a chance to kind of reprioritize things. It, when you're a mom of three kids under 10, you're doing all the things I'm doing, everything starts to pile up. And then it's just like the snowball. Um, and so also, I think one of the ways that I take care of myself is I, I try to forgive myself and I try to, I, I'm a, I'm a never enougher, you know, I had one uh, psychiatrist <laughs> define me as that you're a never enougher. You're always going to go for something more, you know, never, you need to stop sometimes and go, wow, like this is pretty cool. This, what I did, or just, you know, not patting yourself on the back, but I was really lucky to do that. I was really lucky to work on that project. And sometimes look back a little bit and just have that gratitude for the amazing things I've been afforded to do in my career. And I also think you can pat yourself on the back. I think we all can. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard. Me. And it's especially hard for women to do it, but I think we can. It's hard, though. I say that as someone who has a very difficult time doing it. I, you know, and it's funny. It's like, why do we feel, you, you know, that when you said that, I got so uncomfortable. And it's like, why Why are we like that? Because we're wrong. plenty of men that are like, I'm great. You know, I just I know, I and they're not that great today. <laughs> I'm like, really? You know, we, we joke, you know, I joke with girlfriends and married girlfriends, you know, you don't get a gold star for doing the dishes, you know, but like husbands want that and moms want, you know, no gold stars for anything. But as a mom, too, I do try to really pause and take stock and say, how are each of my kids doing? Like, really mm-hmm. take stock of their mental health. How are each of them doing? And how can I maybe pull one of them to the side and just give them some some time one-on-one so that they feel really special? And I do pat myself on the back for, for motherhood because it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And I say, you're hanging in there. Like, not like you should get an award, you're the best mother, but you're, you're really trying and you're trying to be intentional. And that's the standard I'm always going to hold myself to is just try your best. Somewhat along these lines, but a little bit different. What is a misstep that you're seeing specifically women make when trying to break into the sports industry? The biggest one that I see is trying, or, or I should say, falling into the roles that have been typical for women before them. So when I came into the business, it was like, well, if you want to be in sports, you know, you're going to be a sideline reporter. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I, I teach at USC sports commentary. Um, and I tell my students, you know, I'll find women in my class that will, they, they want to do play by play. They think they're a great analyst. And I said, then why is everything on your demo reel sideline reporting? And it's because they think that's the only thing that is going to be offered to them. But I said, no, instead, use your talents the way you want them to be used. Put that face forward. Put that, like, 
Make that what you present to potential employers. And trust me, they will be impressed that you've been doing play-by-play at the college level. You know, I think the industry is ready for that now. It wasn't ready for it when I came in 25 years ago. And so I think taking advantage of the lack of definition of roles, which my generation has fought so hard for, take advantage of that. I wish I could go back and do that. And I wish I lived in a time that had that opportunity. What is it a criticism that you received early in your career that was difficult to take, but has turned out to be a positive? Um, I think, you know, I... The criticism I would always, and I don't think it was warranted criticism. One thing you hear as a woman is like, oh, what do you know about sports? Or you know sports or or that. And um, I would personalize that so much. And it was so hurtful because men never got asked that. And I would know I was working with men that did not know as much about sports as I did. They didn't do the prep work that I did and the research. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually had a Hall of Fame broadcaster, Bob Wolf, God rest his soul, Um, He was probably about like in his late 80s when I worked with him at News 12 Long Island. I was producing for him. He was doing the local broadcast and he looked at some of my charts and he said, wow, you really know sports. And again, you know, kick to the gut. You're like, you know, no, no, you know what, Sherlock, I work (laughs) in this profession. You know, you want to be a smart ass and say that back. Um, But then he he let he got down like because he was standing over me and he said, he looked and he goes, look unfortunately you're going to have to know twice as much because in this business, they think, you know, twice as less. And he Mm -hmm. said, you're going to have to over prepare. And that was, that was great advice. You know, it's, it, it made me mad that I, somebody had to say that, you know, I was like, why? But I always did it. I took the advice and I was one thing I will never be out prepared (laughs) by anybody. (laughs) And I, and that really turned out to be, a blessing uh, in disguise, but uh, you know, another criticism you take a lot and, and this really sucks. It's like, if you're what's perceived as an attractive woman or good looking woman or whatever you call it, it's like, you're put into a category that oh, you must be an idiot. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, and it made it, it and it made me, <laughs> it sounds so horrible. It's like, I wish I wasn't five, three and blonde and young. And the older I got, I, I actually enjoyed it because that was taken away. That stigma was taken away. The longer I lasted, the older I got, people were like, wow, she's been here for a while. She's not, you know, listen to her speak. But that's something that I, you know, I hate that my young students that, you know, people perceive as good looking are going to have to fight that battle. But the ones that aren't good looking must be there for their brains. Like that, how about they're just women doing their job? Like take right. away that definition of attractive or not. One hundred percent. It's 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 a difficult industry for women. And, and I say that as someone who's been very lucky in this industry that I haven't. Obviously, we all come up against things in this industry that we do not. And I've I've been lucky um, in terms of the beat. I work on the 49ers beat and it's it's a really good beat. Oh, I'll be up there next week. I'll oh. see you up there at training camp. Oh, you sure will. You will definitely see me at training camp. Fantastic. I didn't uh, know that. I'm, yeah. I'm next week. Oh, fantastic. Oh, I'm excited. Well, great. We'll get to meet in person. Oh, guys, guys will have get my job IRL in real life. That'd be great. Um, and I'm lucky on that beat. But, you know, come I come up upon things all the time. We were, you were talking. I thought of a story and I, I really tend to not make this podcast about me, but I think it makes no, sense. No, I want to hear about you. Um, but this is a this is an interesting story. As a 49ers beat reporter, it's December of 2019. 
I ran into somebody, a man um, that I'd only met a couple times before. And he said, oh, I've been thinking about you. The 49ers are doing so well. What do you think's going to happen? And I said, honestly, I think they're going to win. I think the winner of the NFC West will be the NFC team in the Super Bowl. And he said, well, that's going to be tough because they're going to play the Packers. I said, yes, they are going to play the Packers, but they beat the Packers already pretty handily. And, and I feel good about their chances. They're going to have to beat the Saints, maybe in New Orleans. I'm like, well, they did beat the Saints in New Orleans. Um, <laughs> and then he goes, well, the, and I said to him, I said, you know what? If you want to talk about how you think they're going to do, I'm all ears. But you asked me what I think, and I cover the team. I so, and it was like, because it was like, why are we having, why did, why are we, ha- did you just start the conversation to argue with me about it? Yeah. Um, but we did it to show you up. Did it to show me up. And people yeah. do it all the time. And I get, people say all the time, they ask me, what do you think about the quarterback situation? I say, no, the thing is with Jimmy, if he stays healthy, he can win. Oh, you just think that because he's good looking. No. Oh my gosh. No, yeah. no that but, one but got he went to the Super Bowl. That's why, you know, and it's just, it's really frustrating Unfortunately, it is what it is. And I think all we can do, like you said, is over prepare and continue to fight those battles. And and it's interesting because I've come to mean it's people are intimidated by it and they're it makes them nervous. Strong people are not strong. strong people, people are not. One thing I've found is that strong, secure men are not intimidated at all by strong, secure women. It's the weak ones. A hundred percent. You can beat them out and it's not worth your time. You nailed Your that. story is 2019. Imagine coming into the locker rooms and the clubhouses in 98 when I did. I mean, I can't. Yes, it, it must have been. I I can't imagine. It's like I can't imagine, but I totally can at the same time. <laughs> it was constant. <laughs> you know, you were constantly reminded of, of who, what you were, not who you were, like what you are. Like you're mm-hmm. a female. And I was like, can we just, can I just do my job without pointing out that I'm a female or somebody hitting on me? Or, you know, when you're in your early 20s like that, you have managers or coaches trying to hook you up with their players. Amber, you're a great girl. Don't you want to go out with my second baseman? No, because I, I, my credibility would be shocked. And mm-hmm. A, I'm not here for that. Like, let's just let's put that out there. But there was that perception that if you were in this business, it was because you wanted to meet like a good looking pro athlete. It was that was something we had to fight against. I don't think that's there as much now, but just the the knowledge thing is, is definitely there. Like the lack of she must have, you know, she doesn't know as much because she never played football. I'm like, well, you played Pop Warner until you were seven. Right. So, you know, like that doesn't make, you know, that just because you played until you were 10 doesn't mean that you know more than I do. And there are those memes and, and plenty of tweets about when you say, oh, yeah, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a sports reporter. I love sports. Oh, really? Name the offensive line of the Bears in 1984. And it's just, <laughs> it's just such a frustrating thing. It kind of is what it, you know, in some ways it is what it is, but it's still frustrating. And like I said before, all we can do is keep on fighting, so to speak. And let me just tell you, you know, I've worked with the best of the best, the Deion Sanders, Rich Eisen, uh, Scott Hansen, Michael Irvin, Marshall Falk. They've all been co-hosts, co-anchors with me on major sets. And I can tell you, none of them can list, you know, the starting offensive line from 1979 on some team. Right. We all have to look that up, right? Like, all of us have to look, to look that up. Um, just like a lawyer can't tell you, you know, a, pre- a case that set a precedent back in, you know, 1949, they have legal clerks to, like, look that up. That's what they have paralegals for. I mean, just like we have researchers. So this idea that, 
you know, you're supposed to be some sort of sports encyclopedia (laughs) and that women aren't and that men are. It's, it's just so false. It is, it is, it is so false, but it, you made a very good point easier earlier, excuse me, made a very good point earlier. And that is it's the, it's weak men who are intimidated by that. You're never going to hear that from a strong, secure person. That's not even just men, strong, secure person. Um, and it does help weed out the people that you can keep out of your circle and avoid. That's true. And, and I can tell you firsthand, my, the biggest feminist I've ever worked with has mostly been um, former players. The big macho alpha types that you think they would be like, oh, good, I can't believe she's my co-host. They have done more. Than, when I listed those guys, you know, Willie McGinnis, um, you know, Deion Sanders, um, Nate Burleson, Michael Robinson, they all uh, stood up for me in times where I was being discriminated against and weren't afraid when other people were, when other people were afraid to lose their job. If they spoke up, they, you know, walked right into the president of the network's office and said, this is not right. So, I mean, I say that one of the first feminists I ever met was my father. And that trend has continued with some of these alpha males that you would think would be the opposite. Um, but they, you know, they're secure in who they are. And I was never intimidating to them. They want to lift up their colleagues. So how have you seen opportunities change and grow for women in the industry? And where do you think we can still improve? I think one area that's really improved over the last just like two or three years is opportunities to women of color. Um, you know, it, when, when I was trying to break in in the 90s, when I broke in, everybody looked like me. The, the mm-hmm. few women that were there all looked at me. They were all Caucasian. Um, some had brown hair. Most had blonde hair. I mean, it was even a brown, brown blonde hair thing. And they just all looked the same. Even when I came to NFL Network in 2012, literally every woman was a white blonde. And, and usually that's indicative of one person doing the hiring mm-hmm. and gravitating towards the same type of woman, which they don't do for hiring men. Um, and so I've, I've really been proud to see a lot of my friends um, get an opportunity um, that are women of color because they just weren't. And that's, that's a fact. And that's, <laughs> look at the numbers. I used to look around at NFL Network and say, you mean to tell me at the local levels, we can't find one African-American reporter that's a female? We can't find one Asian-American woman? Nothing, not. You, you mean to tell me they don't exist or you're just not looking for them? Mm-hmm. You're not out there recruiting and you're not putting them in the pipeline and you're not developing the talent. Um, so again, it comes back to being intentional and I'm seeing... Um, more intentional hires because of the pressure from what society, this kind of reckoning that we're experiencing as a society when it comes to race and gender right now because of horrific events of the past couple of years. But I think the good thing of that is the pendulum has swung the other way and um, we're starting to see people get their foot in the door and man, are they taking off with it? Um, very talented people. And that's, that's, I think that's wonderful where we can get better is, as I said, we can, we can have better roles um you know, uh, more roles that have been designated for men, the play-by-play, the um, the analysts, you know, we're seeing Mina Kimes be an analyst, Cynthia Freeland be an analyst. Um, there's, why do you have to be a man or a former player to be an NFL analyst? So, um, 
yeah, I think we're doing better in those areas, but we're still so far off. You know, we just had the first MLB all-female broadcast, mm-hmm. and I did a lot of press around that because people remember the work I did with, with MLB. And, you know, I said in one interview, I said, this is amazing. Tears came to my eyes because I, I know those women. I know how hard they fought for this. They deserve every minute. But let's look at what they're being paid today. And then let's mm-hmm. compare it to any broadcast around MLB anywhere today. I bet you it's not even half of the combined broadcast. Um, and so that's where we need to be tremendously better. Um, I can remember making less than a third of my male co-host at NFL Network, and I had been there longer than him doing the same job. Yeah, that's that's just not okay. And it is actually pretty amazing that in 2021, this does, this is still an issue. And it is very much still an issue, but it is rather incredible and not, I don't mean incredible in a good way. Yeah. It's disappointing. It's, it's, it's disappointing. And, 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 but you doing this is amazing. You having a platform where we can talk about this, you know, you keep the pressure on, mm-hmm, that's <laughs> my, true. My, you keep the pressure on my, one of my best friends, Aisha Cheney is a, she's a producer at NFL, senior producer at NFL network. She's fought her way up as a, as a African-American woman. She's uh, helped started the black engagement network within the NFL and you know, her and I talk a lot and there's many nights where she's frustrated and feels like, what are we doing this for? And then there's many nights, you know, where she's like, I'm just going to keep the pressure on. Uh-huh. <laughs> just keep it coming. Don't give up. And that's, you know, what we do. That's why we're here. If you could give our listeners one piece of advice for starting a career in your field, and it could be in, I say your field because you have a number of fields, <laughs> but it, <laughs> in any of the fields or all of the fields uh, that you choose, what would it be? Work hard, believe that you have something valuable to offer, and never stop creating things in your head and and coming up with ways to present those ideas. Always bring something to the table because you belong at the table. Oh, I like that. Before we get into five fun facts, can you take us through a day in your life? Because I imagine... It's very busy and very varied. Um, So I would love to hear how you kind of prioritize everything. And something we talk a lot about on this podcast is there's no such thing as balance every day. Uh, You're not, not everything is going to get, you know, the same amount every day. And obviously we have to pick and choose, but we kind of just love to hear. And you can pick what day it is. Oh my gosh. My days are crazy. Um, Let me think. I mean, a day, would you want me to do like a normal day when I'm at home or like when I'm traveling for football? I would say, could you do both? Yeah, okay, because it's very different days. <laughs> That'd be great. I would love to hear both if you're open to it. Okay. Um, my one of my typical days is, you know, when I'm when I'm at home, I'm not traveling for sports or anything. Um, it's usually I wake up very early. You know, usually about six thirty with a child, one of the three poking me on the head or standing <laughs> over me like really creepy until I wake up. So that's you know, you wake up ah, so that's how I wake up. Um, like, what are you, how long have you been standing there? It's creepy. Um, and so it, it usually, you know, it's a rush. It's the mom thing, right? It's checking my emails first to just make sure there's nothing urgent for any of my companies, any of my projects, just making sure that that's okay. That's out of the way. Um, so take a few minutes to do that. And then it's making breakfast, you know, cooking oatmeal, packing lunches, getting together stuff for camp here in the summer, you know, oh, do you have your tennis racket? Do you have your bathing suit? Do you guys have sunscreen on? You know, you sunscreen up three different kids. 
Um, and then who's driving them where? So I'm usually a shuttle service or a carpooling <laughs> or you're picking up other kids. And then, I mean, you literally like go to, you don't even stop. You're like rolling through wherever you're dropping them off and just kick them out of the car. And then like you take off. Zoom. Um, and for me, then I spent a couple hours just doing, you know, getting the day started work-wise. I'll go into my office um, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to tackle all the early meetings and it can be my back-to-back meetings can be for three different businesses or projects. So I can be, you know, on one meeting trying to negotiate terms for um, acquiring the rights to an animated feature that I'm working on. And then I'll turn around and my next meeting is about, you know, what we're doing with our ad accounts for, for WinQuick app, you know, are we reaching the right audiences? And then my next meeting is, you know, uh, what I'm going to be doing at 49ers camp, like what shows am I doing? Do I need, who do I need to reach out to getting prepared? So that's how my day goes. And it's, it really is disjointed. It's kind of like, you know, you're, you're here and then you're there. Your mind is, has to jump for so many different things. But usually I, the one thing I do do every day to, to um, kind of regroup is I'll go down in my office. There is a, there's a gym. So I'll go downstairs and I'll get a workout in. Being an athlete was always important to me and it's mm-hmm. good for my mental health. So that's where I kind of regroup. Um, and then, you know, it's much of the same for the rest of the day. I'm always creating something. I'm always writing something. I'm always thinking of a new idea or I'm doing research to support this new idea. And, you know, then there's a million calls from my husband because he can't remember the, the schedule I gave him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he said, when I leave, you, you got the schedule, right? Yeah. And then, you know, 50 calls throughout the day, like, where's this kid and where's that? And so you're always, your mind is always with your kids too, because you always have to think like, did this nanny get them to the soccer practice or where is, where's number three? Where's number one? You know, where are they right now? Um, you're checking, they have their little watches where they check in. Where are they? So your mind never stops. And then you come, I come home and I, I, I like to cook, you know, I come, I come from a family of, you know, people that cooked and food is important. So it's important for me to sit down and them to have a healthy meal. And we sit down together. I'm very traditional in that sense. Um, but that takes a lot of effort, you know, so mm-hmm. you're stopping at the grocery store, then you're cooking and then they complain they don't like it. And it's right. a normal mom stuff. You know, it's, it's all normal stuff. Um, and then usually it's a rat race to get them to bed with the baths and I'm still answering phone calls and trying to, to still work. And then it'll usually end up with, you know, a nice hot shower and many, many nights it ends in a glass of wine. Let's just put it that way. Many, many nights. <laughs> well, that's, that's fair. On the patio. I live in California. It's beautiful. Me and my husband, you know, so we take that that minute and that's kind of where I regroup and uh, and get ready for the next day. It's it's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. And so what is a game day like? Game days are awesome. You know, that's where it, it's nice because I'm away. So mm-hmm. I know that everybody is fending for themselves back home, but they, they, they're in a different mindset, you know, whether it's the babysitters and nanny, the other parents, my husband, they know they're in charge. Like they know when I'm gone, don't, don't call me. Like you guys have to figure it out. So I feel much more confident throughout the day that everybody at home is okay. And then I can really focus on my craft, which is so exciting. You know, I wake up, usually I'll do the meeting with the crew that I'm working with and then I will go get a workout in, you know, I'll do a little research and then I'll go get a workout in and then I'll, um, I'll just get ready, you know, make sure all my notes, all of my, you know, I really have an interview of who I want to talk to that day, what storylines I'm watching for. I prepare a whole document of that I take with me to the stadium 
And then, you know, it's, it's the fun part. You arrive at the stadium and the energy's there and you're with the rest of the media and you're on the field. And I'm really lucky that my gigs allow me to be like on the field. You know, if I'm doing Monday night football, I can walk to the 50 yard line and, and, and talk to Lamar Jackson, you know, while he's warming up. And um, that's really great getting background information uh, to, to use during the broadcasts. And, you know, then you get ready to report everything that you know, everything that you've learned uh, as it is fit throughout the game. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a high that, you know, I'm sure you know this for so many years, yes. doing a live broadcast, you know, it's a high. You can't just go back to your hotel room. Like, whether you're with the crew or whatever, we go eat, you go for a beer, just to, like, decompress. Like, you've got to come down from this high of live television or live radio or whatever it is and the energy in a stadium. Um, and then I love just being able to be in my hotel room, you know, I didn't have to put any kids to bed knowing I'm going to sleep soundly <laughs> uh, with nobody else in my bed all night. And, uh, and I value that. And I value my quiet cup of coffee in the morning before I fly out. So it's a ritual. It's definitely, you know, something I value a lot being on the road. I've always been a road dog in this business. That's awesome. Well, Amber, this has been a lot of fun. It's just been very inspiring. I've learned a lot. I know our listeners have learned a lot. But I, of course, I can't let you go because we have to do five fun facts. And actually, even though our listeners are for sure sick of me hearing this, you would not know this. Five fun facts is something I started with the 49ers players. And we do it one-on-one and they give me five fun facts about them that you wouldn't otherwise know. But on Get My Job, we ask everybody the same five, which is great because we get so many different answers. Um, If you are ready. (laughs) I am. I'm nervous. Okay, go ahead. All right, five fun facts with Amber Theo Harris. Amber, what is your favorite moment in sports? Uh, favorite moment in sports? Uh, I would have to say it was the Ravens, being a girl from Baltimore, being able to cover my first Super Bowl was when the Ravens won in uh, in 2012 in New Orleans. Oh, I was there. This one. Oh, cool. Um, at, at that point, I was just there as a fan, but I was there. It was it was an incredible game. It was a cool um, Super Bowl. What is your life motto? What do you have to lose? What what do you have to lose? That's a good, you know what? That's a great life motto. (laughs) You're going to (laughs) live. You know what? I absolutely love that. What do you have to lose? What is your go-to workout that you mentioned you get in during the day? It's mostly HIIT, you know, high intensity interval training. Uh, A lot of jumping, a lot of, although my hip has gone bad as I get older, but a lot of jumping and um, keeping the heart rate up and muscle building. Go-to coffee order. Oh, that's a, that's an almond latte at Starbucks. Mm, Delicious. And Mm -hmm. what is a book every woman should read? Oof. uh, Give me a second. I read all the time. I have like a whole list. (laughs) <laughs> uh, every woman though like, that's different because I usually get your favorite book um, every woman every woman um, I, I would say uh, the power of now okay I like it Amber thank you so much for joining me today oh you broke up oh okay oh, so, oh, Amber thank you so much for joining me today thank you so much this has been so fun I can't wait to see it 49ers camp. I know it'll be amazing. And if you guys liked what you heard, which I know that you did, make sure to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. I'll talk to everybody next week. Bye, y'all. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.